Hello, East Glenville Community Church. This is Jessica Munn with episode 31 of So, I Have a Question. Uh, Pastor Mitch, it's great to have you back. It's been a bit. Yeah, thanks. So today we have a, a triple header. We're going to try to hit three sermons at once and catch up a bit to real time. Uh, so the first one uh, was from way back in Sunday, uh, June 26. And so... yes. Yeah, Mitch, would you mind just a quick summary because it's been so long? So on that one, um, uh, Elijah's still the prophet, but an, the Ahab has died and his son Ahaziah is now the king. And Ahaziah does not seem to give much thought to Yahweh. He's sick and dying. And instead of calling out to the Lord, he sends to a different God to be healed. And God is not going to have any of that. So he sends Elijah to, to send a message. Hey, um, you know, what are you doing? How come you're not calling out to me? Um, at that point, Ahaziah tries to summon Elijah um, before him and, and basically arrest Elijah. And Elijah will not be arrested. Instead, he says, if I'm a man of God, then may fire come down and destroy you all. So, um, Three times, two times, groups of 50 soldiers come and, and twice they're burn up by fire from heaven. And then the third time the guy gives thought and asks for mercy and, and he gets mercy. And then so then Elijah does ultimately uh, God says, it's OK, you can go talk to Ahaziah. He gives him the message, but Ahaziah doesn't recover. He, uh, he's not, he doesn't receive healing from God. So in this essence, the kind of what I talked about is why the harshness of God that comes across in this. I mean, God is sending down fire from heaven to, to burn up the soldiers. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to think about like, how do we understand that? Why was it necessary? And, and the three reasons I came up to why I, I think God had to do this is one is he, he had to protect his prophet. I mean, Elijah is rightly afraid if he's arrested, he'll be killed. And if God would let his prophet be killed by his enemies, it would, it would convey something about God, that God is unable to protect his prophet. And so God is, is, a, is, is protecting Elijah, even though it takes extreme measures to do it. Mm -hmm. um, the second reason I said is, is God's, um, God is asserting his authority. Ahaziah is trying to summon the Lord, summon the Lord's prophet. He's trying to dictate to God and God will not be dictated to. And so it's, it's, again, it's an extreme object lesson, but that's what, what's being conveyed by, by the, the fire from heaven. And then the last is God is all of this is, is God is fighting to, to keep his people. Um, he's fighting to be in relationship with the people of Israel and to not have them turn to other gods. And it's a very serious decision they're looking to make. And so for those reasons, I think that's how I understand why God takes such um, harshness. And, and so on that, I think we have to remember God is love. God is grace and mercy, but God is not such that we can push him around or dictate terms. We have to deal with him. He is an all almighty and sovereign God, even though he is a loving father as well. 
Yeah, yeah, and that reminds me, and it, it could just be, so I'm in the middle of, we're starting the book of Job uh, in my uh, Bible study at work. And it's one of those things where it's like half the point of the book of Job is people, Job's friends always try to speculate as to why, like why did God let Job lose his family and why is Job sick? And so I feel like we can, we can speculate at some extent of the like, well, why did God let say a hundred innocent men uh, die at Elijah's hand type of thing. Um, but as you kind of point out in your three points, it's, it's a complex situation. And so instead it's almost like God is asking a, like, you know, I am in charge. Do you trust me? Yeah. And sometimes it's, what's the alternative? The alternative is God never lets anything bad happen to anyone. Mm. Um, well then why would we ever turn to God? Why would we ever try to fix what's wrong in ourselves or um, God never lets anyone do anything bad? You know, does that mean God takes away our ability to, to do wrong, takes away our free will in that sense? So, um, yeah, it's it, so in some ways, when we read the Bible, when we're challenged, like, why does God seem so harsh? We have to think that through. Mm-hmm. And not just say, well, um, I, I, I prefer to believe in a God who blank. You got to take God as he is. And he is bigger and almighty and powerful. And he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And, and it just, when you were just retelling it, it struck me of how, like, what, what, how God protected Elijah is kind of what the, the Pharisees pointed at Jesus when Jesus was dying on the cross, like, oh, like, oh, you say that you're from God, but yet he can't save you. And oh, it, yeah. And it's where, it, so it's almost like they were expecting something like Elijah. Like you could call out fire from heaven and have it come down if you're really God's son. And yeah. yet Jesus still lets it happen. And that, the other point I made is how James and John wanted to pull an Elijah. Right. Yes. Um, they wanted to call fire down on a city of the Samaritans. And that's, that's the same area that the, you know, Ahab and them lived in the capital city of Samaria. Mm-hmm. And um, so Jesus says, no, that that's not the plan now. So Jesus came to bring a different, in a sense, um, way of, of operating that he's not, he didn't come, you know, the son of man did not come to, to condemn or, or judge. He came to seek and save. Mm-hmm. Anything else on that one? I don't, I don't think so. The only thing I could point out mm-hmm. and um, is, is the thought that occurred to me is, is how I think Elijah was, was in that mode of such a battle mode that he, he maybe he did have trouble seeing the soldiers as people. And that, that just like how the third guy had to really plead to get Elijah to not, you know, spare him. And um, I just wonder if Elijah kind of had a blind spot mm-hmm. that he, he got so used to, to being in that fight that he, he had trouble seeing people as people. And I think that's a good thing just to consider. And I think that it, it, in some ways, it reminds me just of like how we all have, like, 
we everybody has our own character and we have our own strengths and weaknesses and mm. Elijah um oh the 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 cupbearer to the king or whoever was right below the king that Elijah met up with after he was hiding in the wilderness what is yeah and so like when Elijah met him it was kind of the same tense sort of an interaction like oh you um and so it's it's almost like a yeah like even even the prophets had to you know work on showing grace to others and and being open-minded and at times right and this is kind of coming to the sermon we just did but Elijah's in prophet mode right he mm-hmm. he has the word of rebuke and the word of correction you know that's why we needed a savior who could bring the word of grace yeah. and the word of mercy now Elijah was absolutely necessary he's just not the end of the story for 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 God's God's word to us yep yeah yeah and I won't continue that because then we'll eventually get there I have a <laughs> Um, yes. yes, but before before we talk about this past Sunday sermon, uh, there's one more we missed, and that was from uh, July 3rd. Yeah, so on July 3rd, I talk about how um, Elijah meets his end, and it's not by death. There's a bit of a surprise that Elijah goes out, crosses the Jordan River, and... Um, possibly in the same area where Moses had met his end. Um, Elijah, it says a, um, a whirlwind takes him up. It also talks about chariots of fire swooping down. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of a bit of a, I think, two different pictures to capture God, the, God's divine powers bringing Elijah um, fully alive up into the heavenly realms um, mm-hmm. rather than letting him face death. And so it is most of the text that we looked at, though, was, was getting to there. That was like one verse that describes him being taken up. And he does not go alone. Elisha insists, even though Elijah kept saying, hey, you don't need to come with me. Stay where you're at. Elisha says, I will go with you all the way to the end. And um, moreover, other prophets keep showing up. They said the, the sons of the prophets, like these communities now of prophets come and meet with Elijah and Elisha before the end Hmm. and um, from different towns. And one of the things that really strikes me is, of course, I named the sermon series, The Lonely Prophet, and how Elijah was alone. He always talked about, you know, I'm the only one left. But now at his end, he is not alone. Hmm. There's other prophets who are... um, there you know they'll carry on the work and Elisha especially is the right there with him and will not leave him to the very end Mm -hmm. so there's a lot more I could say about that what what out of that message stuck out to you yeah I think that but I guess the the questions I I've always questioned a little bit Elijah and Elisha's interactions there um, but I mean, it's kind of similar to when they first started of Elijah being like, you know, you know, when he threw the cloak over Elisha and then was like, well, what, what have I done to you that you like must follow me? And so it's kind of the whole Elijah being like, well, you don't need to come. And Elisha's like, oh no, I'm coming. And, yeah. uh, and just even like 
when uh, when Eli Elisha asks if he can have the double portion, and Elijah's just like, well, if you see the end, then I guess you can have it. And I've just always like. So that's a great little um, section. Let me say something about that. Yeah. Because um, I think you're on the right track. Oh, I'm, I'm on the wrong one here. I'm looking for the passage. The, the thing that Elijah says when Elisha says he wants to inherit the double portion is, is you ask a hard thing. Is it something like that? Yeah. Um, I'm looking for it. It's like you, um, you ask a hard thing and then. Uh... Yet, if you see me, it will be given to me. Yes. Um, if you see me when I'm taken from you. So I think in, oftentimes I originally interpreted that like, well, it's really hard for the God to give this to you. And you got to do this very special thing in order for God to give you this, this, this hard thing to give. Mm -hmm. No, it's not hard for God to give to Elisha this, this, this new thing. Um, what's hard is what Elijah's would be. In other words, you're asking a hard thing. You're asking to take on this, this difficult work that I have done. Mm -hmm. where you're this this lone figure at times where you're giving God's word to people that don't want to hear it. That's the hard thing. And I think you're right to connect it back to when Elijah first called Elisha and he says, what have I done to you? You know, um, that I, I think Elijah at times realized that for Elisha to, to take on his his role after he was gone, it, it would be a big difficulty for Elisha just as it had been for him mm -hmm. and so I will clarify the the thing I I emphasize in the sermon where it says let there be a double portion of your spirit yeah that is not what do you think that is well I mean I, I listened to your sermon um okay so the yeah <laughs> I, I'm, you explain it then what, what, what was that yeah so it's the um it's the idea of the the rights of the firstborn that the firstborn in every family got the double portion in order to kind of keep the the family line really or keep the in this case you could say keep the momentum going yeah. um, and so Eli elisha is essentially inheriting elijah's work and will be kind of the forefront and the figure yeah. of which um it, it continues on from here yeah he's not asking to be twice as powerful or to do twice as many miracles or anything like that. He's just saying, I want to be considered as your firstborn. Yeah. And that makes so much more sense to me because I have heard people explain it, which I, it could still make sense. I, I have heard somebody explain it once of how like Elisha was like uncertain. And so he felt that in order to do what Elijah did, he needed the double portion, but that's not, okay. That, that doesn't seem to be fit Elisha's character at all because Elisha is the one who's constantly like, no, I'm not leaving you, Elijah. Yeah. And so Elisha I, does not seem to be nearly as uncertain as Elijah had always been. Right. Yeah. And I wonder if part of that is just because he, he got the benefit of starting not alone, but with someone. Yeah. And so he got the, the firmer, strong foundation there to keep it going. But yeah, so I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. I agree. <laughs> um, what else from that sermon was is worth mentioning? Yeah, so that, you passage. You you did mention, and I'm not sure if I could pull it up fast enough. 
but you mentioned some reasons as to why God might have called up Elijah and that like a lot of it was just to, you know, say like to prove that there's the spiritual realm and to um, show that Elijah, like Elisha's job is done type of thing. Okay. And, and so, um, but I was also kind of wondering of like, why do you think, because obviously the biblical authors really tried to include stories that brought home a point and were important for the story of Israel and for us too. And so I was wondering what, if you had a reason or thoughts as to why this story in particular would have been important in the Old Testament narrative. Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I, I, um, I think it's starting to develop the idea of life beyond death mm-hmm. um, because we get to the new Testament. That's a big theme. And we kind of assume that that was there all, all the way through, but it wasn't. Um, it's only hinted at or taught in, in fragments in the old Testament. Um, generally what people look for is blessing in this life. Right. You know, you mentioned Job, like, well, how was Job blessed? He had a long life and many children. Right. And that the, the sign that you were right with God was, was that, was, was heirs and, and blessings. Um, and then, so I think this is one of those that starts to begin the, yeah, but there's actually, God is the, the author of the life and death as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, God is able to overcome death in some way. And that gets start starts to get spelled out more clearly. Well, there's still it's never really clear. You have Ezekiel's talking about the, the skeletons taking on um, flesh again, but even that that's you know you're, you're not totally sure where that's leading. Right. Um, there's the, so yeah, I, but I think this is one of the bigger hints along the way that God has plans beyond just blessing us in this life. Mm. The thing I, I, and I've already sort of hit on it, but I, I do really love about th- this particular story is just to that, that um, idea that Elijah did not win the day in what he was striving for. Mm. You know, he never convinced the majority of Israel to stay true to the, to the Lord. Um, whether it was this false worship, they had a, I mean, they kind of ebbed it forth back after this. It was, it wasn't like immediately they kept falling away, but in a, in a hundred years or so, God would give them up to the Assyrians. In other words, ultimately the, the battle would be lost. Right. And yet I'm convinced what this passage says is Elijah really was success in, in building these community of, of prophets mm-hmm. and in passing it on to Elisha. It's this idea that even for us, we may not always convince the majority of Americans. We may not win the culture back mm-hmm. or, you know, the cause of Christ as you know, we all, we all want to see that big revival and, um, and America become a, you know, predominantly Christian country again. And, we, we may not do that, but, but 
what Elijah did, he discipled, he, he trained up others. And I think that's, that's what we do so that we do have a community who's living it out. Mm-hmm. So that's, I find that an interesting end to yeah. how Elijah started his ministry, where he was very much in your face, you know, um, the battle on uh, Mount Carmel, where he's, you know, telling the crowd, uh, you know, which, which, who will you serve? Make up your mind. Mm-hmm. Can you react to that? Is that? No, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a good point because at, at some point, right, like everyone will have to make up their mind. Yeah. Um, but our our worth as disciples of Jesus and of followers of Christ doesn't come from how many choose this side. Yeah. And so the the fact that Elijah, you know, faithfully did what God asked him to do and, and faithfully discipled those after him to continue that work. Um, that's that's really yeah, it's a good it's a good way to describe what's actually expected of us um, yeah. as his disciples. And um, and yeah, sometimes some people might end up being like Elijah and being a little shouty. But ultimately, it's the were you faithful in what you were asked to do? Yeah. No matter what the outcome is of what you were asked. And then you jump back to Jesus and he said, mm-hmm. you know, the the broad road that the majority of people will take will not lead back to God. That will lead to destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, narrow is the road that leads to life everlasting. That, and I hate that teaching. You know, you want to, you want to win the, the, the numbers you want to, yeah. um, but it comes back again and again. Yep. And, and when I think about, okay, if you don't get huge crowds, you, you you're not winning. That's the pressure, the, you know, that idea that you have to persuade everyone puts on you. Or even, even just the, like, if you're no longer the majority, you're not winning. Yeah. Because then like most of the early church was never the majority. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so I I do think our calling as Christians is to be a faithful minority, Mm -hmm. um, a community that sticks together and follows Jesus more closely yeah. um, in it. I tend to agree. Yeah. <laughs> but Anything else to say on that one or should we move to the next one? Thinking we should keep going. One more. <laughs> one more. <laughs> so this third one um, is just this last week. So it's a little fresher in my mind. And Except, what, what did I talk about? Why don't you summarize this one and let's see how we do. Oh, boy. Okay, so this one, uh, so you're talking about uh, pretty much the idea of John the Baptist being the Elijah that was supposed to come before the day of the Lord. Um, and so things like, you know, who, what exactly, how does the Bible, especially the New Testament, kind of look at Elijah as the prototypical prophet uh, and how the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, pretty much the last sentence, is uh, saying that Elijah will come uh, and prepare the day, prepare the way for the Lord type of thing. Um, Yeah. And it comes in this context of this conversation. The disciples like kind of get to this point. Okay, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, 
then mm. what about that idea that Elijah is supposed to come before the Messiah? Yes. And, and that's when, how does Jesus respond to that? He says he already came <laughs> and they yeah. get to them as they wanted. Which the allied, the disciples know is John the Baptist. Right. Mark doesn't even need to say it because that would have been clear to the reader mm -hmm. that uh, what, what he's referring to. So how were, how is John the Baptist and Elijah, like, how are they parallel? How are they the same? Yeah. I, I make the point that John is not the reincarnation of Elijah. They're just, they have parallels between how they operated. Right. And so it, it's just kind of their, their similar demeanor of how they both lived in the desert, kind of did stuff alone, um, had connections with the Jordan River, had similar uh, teaching of, you know, repent and turn back to God and the warning of judgment um, and, you know, similar conflicts between the, did they work well with the king and did the queen really hate them because often the queen seemed to hate them more than the king did. Um, and so, yeah, that those were kind of the big summary kind of similarities. Both of them are kind of like the voice calls out in the wilderness, the desert wilderness yeah. against the powers of the day. They were both outsiders mm -hmm. to the, to the, um, I mean, there, there are some like, some of the prophets were more insiders. They, they served the king directly. Like Jeremiah would right. oftentimes be in the king court of the king. Elijah, not so much. And John the Baptist, the same. He, they were in the desert partially to, to be away. So they, they weren't easily findable by the king and his men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and both exemplify this role of speaking correction. Yeah. And, 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 what comes across is God's judgment. God has seen what you're doing and it, you, you're not happy. Yeah. And he, or he's not happy. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, in my brain, John the Baptist saying you brood of vipers sounds uh, pretty similar to some of the things that Elijah would just be like, you know, make your decision. Who are you going to serve? Right. Where Elijah, here's what's interesting though, where Elijah was calling against false worship to, to, to false gods. True. John the Baptist, by the time the Jews got to that age, they, they actually were past that. They, they weren't prone to false worship of literal false gods. Right. They knew enough not to worship the gods of Rome and, and such, but, but their hearts were turned away from God. They, they had a falseness to their, 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 way of doing things the hypocrite mm -hmm. charge that jesus lays before them that they they honor god with their mouths but in their hearts they're uh uh they're false they're, they they don't know god and and so that's more what john was emphasizing right. but it's still that same dynamic of of here's the word of the lord repent get right prepare prepare to face god mm -hmm. yeah and so I am curious, though, because you, you mentioned how, like, you know, it, John the Baptist wasn't Elijah reincarnated. And so I am still just confused, though, like, what did the Jews think Elijah would look like? Because to me, they see Elijah or, yeah, what did, what did the Jews expect when it said that Elijah would come? Because it seemed like John the Baptist was pretty darn close in par 
in a typical parallel that we would expect to see in Jewish literature. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sure that the answer varied depending on, you know, the scholar, I will note that they asked John, are you, are you Elijah? Hmm. And he said, no, um, to the answer, you know, so he was asked the question. So they saw the parallels. Mm-hmm. So I think they perceived, I, I don't think they were thinking in terms of it would be a, a reincarnation, but, but one who was like Elijah. Okay. Um, my guess is they, they, they knew enough that, that it wouldn't happen that way. There was also a tradition like there would be a prophet like Moses coming. And so I think they would have probably have assumed that what Malachi was saying is a prophet like Elijah mm-hmm. would come to turn the hearts to the fathers and their hearts of the fathers to their children and vice versa. Right. Um, but I don't know. I, I, that's the, the best guess I could say is they, they were looking for someone who acted like Elijah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they thought Jesus might be Elijah. True. Cause he too spent time out in the desert wilderness. So, um, so they're, they're kind of waiting for that figure to rise up and fit the role. And I wonder if they were, I wonder if one of the reasons why John said no is because he knew that like he wouldn't fit the role in the ways they were expecting. Like maybe just like they were expecting the Messiah to come and destroy, defeat Rome. They were expecting right. the new Elijah to come and call down fire from heaven. Um, Good point. Yeah. And, and John definitely didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. No, in fact, where Elijah lived, John was imprisoned and killed. Right. And, and it, yeah. I mean, you don't blame John when he, you know, had to verify with Jesus, like, hey, you're the one who's supposed to come, right? Like, <laughs> you, you were the one that was my job to lead the way for because uh, yep. I, my... Or, or is, there, is there someone else? Am I, did I get that wrong? Right. My, my impeding John death. at all. I would have thought the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah I, well, I did have another question. Okay. Um, so you you t- mentioned about like so in Malachi it talks about this day of the Lord, um, and how every a lot of people thought that the day of the Lord was like the end judgment when God would come and restore all things type of thing. Um, but you mentioned how the end of the Lord that Malachi was actually referring to was like the suffering servant, Jesus, pretty much. And so why is it the same term, though, to relate to both things? Yeah. Um, so the day of the Lord. Yeah, it, 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 I. I think of it in some ways is they could only see the things they were prophesying about from a distance Mm. and they could not it's like you if you're looking at mountains right you can't tell how far one mountain is from another Mm. and and so i think when they did talk about the day of the lord sometimes they were seeing what what is the day that is yet to come we we are still waiting for the day of the lord in that sense the day of christ's return right um, what they could not see is the other mountain peak that could equally be called the day of the Lord. That um, was the day of the Lord 
absorb the wrath of God upon himself. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how I, I think of it. Um, does that help or can, can you clarify further? No, yeah, that makes sense. I'm trying to, um, it was like, there's a spot where Jesus talks about the same, kind of both of them at the same time too. Like the, um, the end times when he says like, you know, woe, like, woe to the women who are pregnant, like when the Lord comes type of thing. Okay. Um, But then he also is talking about like his death and the disciples like after his death. And I, it's, it's kind of one of those things of the, like, you could talk about a, a close reality, but you can also talk about a farther one. Um, no, that didn't. I'm trying to, there, yeah. Well, let me, let me even talk. I think the one place where Jesus talks about woe to the women who are pregnant, he's actually talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That's it. Yes. So it's the, okay. Thank you. Sorry. And and people, I mean, scholars debate, they go into Matthew 23 or I think it's Mark 13. I think those are the two chapters. And is this talking about the end end? Right. Or is it just talking about this, this, this cataclysmic day when Jerusalem is besieged and then destroyed by the Romans? Right. Yes. So that's one of those, those, Bible scholar debates, and um, I find it fascinating to get into it. But but it gives us this idea of could the day of the Lord be that day that that you see, in a sense, the judgment of God hitting in some way. Mm-hmm. And there's not just one the day of the Lord, though there will be one final one. Right, almost like a there's there's many days of the Lord, and then there's like the big day of the Lord, yeah. and all the little mini ones lead up to the big one. Right. But, but none of the many ones feel like many ones. You were in Jerusalem. It was your day of the Lord. True. And, you know, if you had been there at the cross, that would have been in a sense, just as much the day of the Lord when, um, so yeah. And that's where I think God only gave the prophets enough to, to know something was happening. Hmm. And not enough, you know, it was, it was, it's like Paul talks about the mystery that now that the gospel has come has now been revealed. Right. It was always meant to be a bit of a mystery when it was spoken by the prophets. It's only in seeing the events of the cross, resurrection, the ascension, and the coming of the spirit that Paul says, now the mystery has been revealed and, and is open to all peoples. Mm-hmm. But in just when it was the in the law and the prophets, it, it was still a mystery. Right. Which is one of the points I wanted to make in the, the message um, where I talk about how the Moses represented the law. Yep. And Elijah represents the prophets. He was the greatest of the prophets. He's the prototype, the typical picture of a prophet. Mm-hmm. And if when Jesus talked about the Old Testament, scriptures he talked about the law and the prophets and that's why i think it's significant what happens on the mountain um, during the transfiguration mm-hmm. when moses and elijah are there and and god's voice speaks to to peter james and john and says this is my son listen to him 
in a sense, Jesus, who represents this, this third aspect beyond the law and the prophets, the message of the gospel, mm-hmm. that is the, the, final, the, the final goal of the word of God. Yeah, he's the ultimate one that you need to listen to. Right. And that the, the, in a sense, the law and the prophets left us short of where God would take us. Yeah. Only yeah. in the coming of Jesus could he get us there. Makes sense to me. Okay. Other questions? Yeah, one more. So you, you mentioned how the, the biblical definition of the prophet, of somebody... Um, you know, bringing God's message to the people about often a specific situation that the people of God are in, whether it's the, you know, the false uh, worship back with Elijah or um, the hypocriticalness of the Jews during John the Baptist time. Is there, like, do you think there are still prophets today? And like, what, what would they look like? Or is, is the kind of the idea of the, the typical prophet no longer necessary because we have the Holy Spirit? Um, this is one of those argued over things. Okay. And I, I'm not afraid to give my opinion. It's just I've, I've heard arguments on both sides. And I, I mostly know where I land. And and simply this, I certainly believe in the role of prophecy, mm-hmm. that as I've described it. It's that the way the word comes to us to rebuke and correct. And I think certain people are inclined towards speaking and teaching that way. Certain pastors or whatever are more like prophets in just the way they preach. Mm. Um, I am more of a teacher. I want to help people understand and, and see and, you know, but I know there's some to, to great effect who come across more as are, are in a sense are used by God to, to convey someone needs to make a change in their life. And I think that is a role, but I don't think it's, it's like it was in the old Testament where you needed the prophet to tell you what God said, mm. because one, we have the written word and then we have the Holy spirit as the, the one who helps communicate the word to us. So I think you do need the roles of teacher in the church. I don't think you need the, the role of prophet in quite the same way as the Old Testament. Now, having said that, the New Testament talks about people who are prophets. And one of them predicts a famine in Jerusalem. So far be it for me to say the Holy Spirit can't use someone and give them that kind of very specific message for the church in certain times and places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is sometimes the, the, certainly the Holy spirit can, can speak through people like that. Um, but it does not seem to me that it's, it, you give someone that role and they speak as if they're Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah with that authority that has to be tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just assume just because someone says they're a prophet. No, I, I need to know from the Holy spirit that, that, that I should listen to their message as well. So I, I, I feel like I'm hemming and hawing a little bit, but that's sort of where I've landed on this. Cause I think it is a difficult issue. No. And I think, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. It's complex. 
And who are we to say that God has to always work inside a box? Right. Um, but then again, it is there. How we relate to God is completely different now because we everyone has the Holy Spirit, whereas back then only certain individuals really seem to. That's a good point. Yeah, it's exactly right. Is anyone who puts their faith in Jesus has the Holy Spirit versus it was only the special people, only the prophets of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And I think that changes the way we receive pro- people yeah. who take on the role of prophecy. That makes sense. Yeah. And I'll, frankly, I get nervous when someone starts speaking as if they're a prophet who expects people to listen to them as, as speaking for God. And I'm like, okay, how can I know? Mm. I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, I have a bit of a skeptic mindset, you know, like you got to prove it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, just my reaction in that mode. If, if someone says to me, I have a word of the Lord for you. I'm like, okay. How do you react when someone says that? Uh, I I have actually, um, sometimes, sometimes the, yeah, I think I usually do sit and with God and, and think through it and be like, okay, how much of this is like actually truth and from you and how much of this is not, because right. there's been a couple of times when I'm just like, I'm pretty sure that no, like, no, I don't, I don't think you're right at all. And I don't, I'm confused as to why you even said that. And then other times, um, other times parts of it really resonate. And I'm like, yeah, even years later, I'm like, nope, I'm still, that still makes sense. And I'm still clinging on to that. So there you go. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that sounds right to me. Well, Jess, we've gone long. I'm sure, yeah. We hit three sermons. Um, and uh, so what's coming up? I have one more message on Elijah. Believe it or not, you think we'd be done. But there's one last passage that it doesn't use the name Elijah, but it, it clearly is referring to him. And so we're going to look at Revelation 11. And this will be a brand new sermon for me. So I'm kind of excited because I, these other ones I've taught this before, but I've I've never quite gone through revelation and it, it's going to be a challenge. So I'll I'll just lay it out there. Um, So, but, but does Elijah come one more time? We'll, we'll talk about that. Sounds, sounds good. I'm ready. But It'll be in a couple of weeks because I, I'm going on this thing to Prague. So. Well, as always, thank you for joining me today. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And after, we'll have to hear about your mission trip too, because that'll be fun. Yeah, we could talk about that. Yeah. And Revelation chapter 11. Yes, yes. All right, well, thanks. All right, see you, Jess. Bye.